Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another season of Trouble Trouble, the queer music podcast. Um, We like to look at music through a queer lens, but, you know, we just want to be a welcoming space for everybody. Um, As you know, if you've listened to this show before, um, we have it a season one. I took a year and a half off. And I, uh, I decided, you know, like, I really missed talking about music. And so we're back. I'm back. <laughs> and uh, we're starting again. So I hope you all come back and listen and are super into it. Things get busy. Life gets busy. But in the end, you know, we all love music and it can only be gone for so long. So with that being said, uh, we do have a great first episode planned for you. I have a really cool guest. I guess we could say this is the host of the Infectious Groove podcast. Um, We have Russ here from that show. Oh, I thought it was going to be somebody else. I was getting excited. You said you had a really good guest. I was like, ooh, who's it going to be? No, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, yeah, I uh, am very, very thankful to be on the show. And, uh, you know, you've been a longtime supporter of our show. And uh, we kind of joke amongst ourselves that you're like a reoccurring sitcom character on our show. So, yeah, uh, yeah, more than happy to to come over and sit down. I'm excited about the many topics that you have in addition to the the actual album review too. So this should be fun. Definitely. Um, And also just kind of at the top of the show, kind of like what you guys do. I wanted to give you a chance to let the audience and everyone listening where they can find you and, uh, and how to stay in touch. Yeah. So if you go to infectiousgroovepodcast.com, you'll find pretty much everything about the show there. You can go to infectious groove music on YouTube and subscribe to that channel. So we have two different outlets that come out every single week. One is, uh, the, the audio podcast comes out on Mondays. The deal with that is we try hard to keep things as positive as possible. We know that we could get far more clicks with a quote-unquote hot take, and uh, this is the most overrated album of the 90s. This is the worst song of the 80s. Uh, we don't want to do that. There's enough of that on the internet, and we're, and you know, whoever makes that content, huzzah and kudos. You know, like if you carry on with that, that's great for you. It's just not something we want to put out more of in the world. And there is so many artists and albums that are underrated. We'd rather talk about that, you know, or there is plenty of music and artists we don't like, but we just don't, <laughs> we, we just don't talk, just don't about, talk it. about it. Yeah. You know, like why there's so much we do like, so that's what happens on the show. Every week we talk about things that we like and uh, all sorts of different topics to do. Like, for example, when this episode comes out, one of our latest episodes is about this thing where People like seemingly everyone is selling their rights to their music and what that means. And we had a guest on the show who had like a little bit more of a positive outlook on it than I did. So it's great for me too. like one of my favorite phrases in life to say is, oh, I didn't know that I'm wrong. You know, like yeah. to learn. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's what goes on with the podcast comes out every single Monday. And then on uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, we have much smaller, quicker format stuff on YouTube. And again, same theme though, with that, it's like, uh, five underrated songs from the nineties, five hidden gems from Bon Jovi. Like, you know, like you probably know all of these Bon Jovi songs, but like, here's five. You don't (laughs) know that either if you are a fan of the band already, you might not know these. Or if you're like, I do not play Bon Jovi for me. If you hear these, you might say, Oh, I like those. And we try and spread it across as many different genres and topics as we can. So, uh, that was very long-winded, but yeah, InfectiousGroupPodcast.com will direct you any way you need to to find us. Definitely. I mean, I can't say enough positive things about their show. Like, 
one one of the things that keeps me listening to their show is like what Russ said is that they're so positive and they try to not be like hateful and stuff like that because I find like a lot of times with some music podcasts it comes with some sort of like attitude or like you know I'm more rock and roll than you or whatever like uh and 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 the rest of the show isn't like that and this show's not like that uh you know I, like he said it's if i don't like something i'm just not going to cover it on the show <laughs> yeah and we even you know cuz i mean you know this Seth, you listen regularly we do album reviews where we don't agree on things like famously we i'm a huge pink floyd fan and my, my co-host michelle is absolutely not <laughs> no. a pink floyd fan but she did give my favorite Pink Floyd f- album a try and she found things that she liked. And instead of just going, Oh, this, this is all the, re- the list of reasons of things why I hate about Pink Floyd. Like she is just like, okay, here's, here's why this doesn't work for me, but I'm glad it works for you. That, that type of thing, you know, and we get as in depth as we can without ever doing the, well, I know more about music than you do. Cause everyone can always learn something. Definitely. That's yeah, that's the most important thing to me, like with this shows and with any show that I like to support is I just want it to be a welcoming environment for everybody. So they feel welcomed. Um, So hopefully you all listening will feel that. (laughs) So before we do get into the main topic, we do have a little bit later in the show where we'll be discussing Nirvana's album Nevermind, uh, which is probably most famous for having the Batman theme song on it. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Like, I I don't think a lot of people probably know this album until they watched uh, Robert Pattinson's The Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Either that or Moulin Rouge. I would say a a good amount of fans came from there, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because the big problem with this album, and we'll get into it, is when it came out, it just wasn't, well, you didn't see it enough. You didn't hear the songs enough. Mm -hmm. The videos weren't very popular. Yeah. People didn't even know, like, you couldn't even tell, like, name who the band members were. Oh, yeah, for sure. Not until Moulin Rouge and and the Robert Pattinson movie, yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Uh, But but before we do get into this album, we do have a couple of really fun mini topics. That's kind of a new thing I'm adding to the show. Just sort of like an icebreaker. Let's all get, like, comfortable and chill before we get into the, the main topic here. Uh, So the first mini topic is something I've really wanted to talk to someone about for a long time, but I don't hear a lot of people discussing it because it is kind of controversial. And that topic is life after being a canceled musician. So what we're talking about here um, are people like uh, that have a controversy or something like that you know, quote unquote, we, Michael Jackson. I know Russ is a big Michael Jackson fan. Um, people like that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's not working very well. Uh, well, there's, there's, you know, Chris Brown. Oh yeah. Uh, R. Kelly. Um, I, I don't mean this in a dis- disrespectful way because I have hard opinions on this, but one of the sons from Mumford and Sons, I don't know his oh, name yeah. and I sound like being, I, I sound like I'm being, disrespectful by not knowing that but you know it seems like every two minutes and then there's a lot of musicians who in my opinion uh are due for a canceling and haven't been were were one of those artists uh celebrated at the rock and roll hall of fame by uh uh giving a a big big uh performance for their death yeah yep Um, you know, our, our friend Ziggy Stardust, uh, also has some unsavory things that you never hear talked about. Uh, you know, I, I, and then, 
you know, it, oh, yeah, lots I mean, of things there. There, uh, being an old, I understand that there's that whole argument of well, grandpas from a different time, right? I get that, but there are things that I think transcend grandpas from a different time, and uh, you know, and and one thing I, I want to back up real quick, and I promise I'm not going to try and extend this okay. too much, is uh, we, I for me it's extremely important the difference between alleged and having committed crimes. And I understand that the topic of Michael Jackson is very touchy because it's not like this guy was accused of stealing a song or, uh, you know, uh, 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 screwing somebody out of royalties or something. This guy was accused of, in my opinion, the worst thing that you can accuse a human being of. And not only once, but a couple of times. And I want to be clear when I when when I get the moniker uh, Michael Jackson fan, which I'm proud of, oh, yeah. I I like to remind people, not you, just I like to say to people in general that I don't think Michael Jackson is innocent because I'm a fan. I think Michael Jackson is innocent because I've done a hefty amount of research surrounding everything that was seen as controversial to do with him. Uh, and I remain a fan afterwards. And, you know, this is another topic you could use in the future is like, what, what can you excuse to still listen to someone's music? And I'll give you an example is when I bring up the topic of Michael Jackson's innocence, oftentimes people will say to me, um, well, I don't, I, I mean, I guess we'll never know, but you know, I love his music. And I think if I thought for even five seconds that that guy was capable of or did what he is accused of, I wouldn't be able to listen to not one second of his music going forward. And I, and again, that's just me. You do. Your, right. You know, Everyone's but, different. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so there are, I mean, you know, I know I don't, don't want to run your show for you, but I'm looking at your, your notes. And I think that if does an artist deserve redemption heavily matters what they're, what they did or what they're even being accused of. You know. It's all relative, definitely. Like for, uh, I think, like like you said, like Michael Jackson, for example, was accused of one of the worst things someone can be accused of. So that's obviously going to be a lot harder for him to get his redemption from. And I mean, clearly, it still is because, um, I mean, I'm a, a little bit younger than Russ, so like growing up and knowing about Michael Jackson and knowing about like his accus- the accusations against him it's been it's sort of like a well yeah it's like a presumed guilty sort of like thing that is it, yeah, that people are yeah, raised to, to know and and you don't really like for me like i don't really i don't remember exactly when the trials were happening so i mean i wasn't watching those closely i wasn't um as involved and as read up on the um on the uh, topic as like russ is for example yeah um yeah. so for me it's like I, I think a lot of people kind of are, are similar to me as opposed to being like Russ, um, where they were just raised like with the idea in their mind that Michael Jackson's weird and uh, he yeah. did these weird, bad mm-hmm. things and he's guilty. And uh, right. I'll admit, you know, some of the things that he did is weird. But when you grow up mm-hmm. and are thrust into fame at such a young age, like you don't even understand what having a normal life is like so right you know this is a guy who there's video if you want to see and i've i'm not at all making fun if you want to see one of the truly 
saddest things I've ever seen in my life. Go on YouTube and search for, just search the phrase Michael Jackson shopping. And this guy for his birthday one year, all of the people around him had to rent a grocery store and they paid actors to act like real people so he could see what it was like to just grocery shop like a normal person. And like that was his present. And it's like he is having the time of his life. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's like so, so crazy. sad. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking. Like that, that to me is one of those things where people can begin to maybe start wrapping their head around what a different life that guy had. And I, and I want to be clear. I'm not saying that would have justified anything uh, along the lines of what he's accused of. Uh, But I, you know, I I did, I followed the trials extremely close. I was the first person because I grew up on his music. When, when the first accusations broke in 93, I was the first person to go, Oh no, 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 no. And I, I got mad before I knew anything. Right. I thought, I thought you got to be kidding me. Here's this guy that's got all this money in the world. He's got all this access to all these kids. And I just didn't believe And you know, I interviewed a member of the Jackson family on our show, like two years yep. ago now. And I told him straight up. That's how I was as soon as I heard about it. And, uh, because everything just fits, you know, yep. it's just easy. It's easier to just believe that. And, so uh, I'm going to force myself to get off the Michael Jackson <laughs> soapbox because I could, we could literally do a series on oh, this. Yeah. The, the question of the redemption, at least for me, comes back to uh, what they're accused of. And uh, I, I don't know if you want to censor my thoughts on this when you edit or not, but uh, like Chris Brown, how is Chris Brown not only allowed to be an entertainer still, but, but regularly celebrated? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's another person that I don't, you know, I was never, I mean, I was never a huge Chris Brown fan to begin with, but I had enjoyed some of his songs. But, you know, after what he did to Rihanna, like, in, in my opinion, like, it's like really hard for me to, to excuse that. And I think that just yeah. kind of like goes with, um, you know, like a lot of internal misogyny that happens in the world. Um, because, yep. you know, uh, you know, Rihanna's a woman, Chris Brown's a man. Uh, it's, yep. you know, he's, well, I mean, look at what happened with uh, Timberlake and Janet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Janet's you know, career I mean, suffered I'm, so I'm much. Sure, yeah. I'm sure they were both involved. I mean, that's obviously a planned bit. We all know that now. Right. So I'm sure they were both involved in the planning, but like Justin Timberlake's the guy that took the action and somehow he came out of that smelling like a rose and we were all supposed to dislike Janet all of a right. sudden. He like slowly backed away with his hands up and just, and then all of a sudden it's just yeah. Janet in the spotlight. <laughs> Yeah. So I, for me, it just depends. Like, do, I mean, obviously do I believe people can be rehabilitated from someone who abuses any other human being, uh, you know, whether it's a woman or not? Uh, sure. I believe that. Yes. But at the same time, and this is why the reason why it comes into my mind is the whole, uh, what someone is accused of right. thing. This is not, there is not rumor and innuendo about what happened to Rihanna. There is cold, hard, hard to look at pictures of things that no one should ever be able to be capable of doing to another human being, let alone, you know, female. So the redemption thing is, is hard for me. I do think people make mistakes. Like, uh, let me throw another one at you. Uh, John Mayer about 10 years ago. Mm, Yeah. What an, what an idiot, you know, Hey everybody, I'm just going to use the N word. Like that's okay. In a Rolling Stone interview, you know? And, uh, I think 
John Mayer has rehabilitated himself a great deal. And, and to be clear, just so we're clear on the whole, you know, like whether I'm a fan of someone or not, I think John Mayer is a hell of a guitar player. I'm not even a real big fan of his music, but I think he's redeemed himself quite a bit. I mean, the very first thing he did after that happened was wrote, wrote a record that should have been called, I'm sorry, I'm a D bag, yeah. <laughs> you know, born, born and raised the whole record is him apologizing. But then he, in my opinion, since then he's put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Like he's, he's kept to himself. He's gone out and done and said good things, you know, and I feel like somebody like that could have gone way the other way, you know, could have just been like, well, whatever, it's me. I'm a big deal, like, uh, you know, and I think he, that I feel like that caused a lot of self-reflection for him. Well, yeah, because I forget, was it, I think his name was Morgan Wallen, who also said the N-word yeah. mm-hmm. and he went, and he's, celebrated. he went with it. He was like, yeah, I said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he's celebrated. Dude, he's still, he just put out a new SNL album. And- and- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I mean, you do you, I guess, but I just. That's not uh, a brand that I would want to have associated with me for personally. No, I, you know, and I, I don't know, you know, and again, this is all, you know, subject to 2020 vision too, you know, because now we can look back and we can say, well, you know, who knows what Sinatra's personal reviews were, or, you know, I mean, but, but they also didn't go around just saying this stuff and then be brazen about it as well. You know, uh, so, and also I've always been a very, uh, vote with the power of your wallet type person, you know, and I can't stop anybody else from consuming anybody's music. Uh, if I did, then, uh, Creed would never sell another Kanye West uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Kanye. Like I can't, I can't stop anybody from consuming his music, you know, but I can use my vote which is to not hit play on something on streaming, right. not even give them that, you know, quarter of a cent or whatever they get from streaming. You know, I, I mean, that's, it's in my opinion that that's all that can happen is you can, you can only control what you consume. And I know for me, I don't care how catchy of a song he ever puts out. I will never listen to another Chris Brown song again. Uh, John Mayer wasn't even a big fan in the first place, but I like, from what I've seen, I feel like he's, redeemed himself enough to where like, I wouldn't turn him off if he came on. Um, Kanye is a whole different thing. And again, you could do a whole episode on this, yeah. but I really feel deeply that there's some mental health issues there that are just not being addressed. And I feel like we, and I mean the, the Royal, we like <laughs> we as a, uh, as a society yeah. are using someone's obvious mental illness as a light night joke. Uh, a late night talk show host joke and whether or not that's the case, it's just my take on it. That doesn't mean I'm going to run out and listen to the college dropout again and be like, yeah, cause maybe he's just going through something, but it, it does mean that I have a, a slightly different take on that than I would say Chris Brown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, and sort of kind of like related to this is like, for example, I mean, I'm not going to ever, ever listen to um, Kanye West again, just because of his like, uh, well, I mean, he's been doing a lot of crazy stuff with like his re- uh, relationship with his ex um, and like the new person that she was dating and stuff like that. But like after yeah. that, like I was already kind of like there's he's done so many things. That I've just been like, fuck this guy. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. And I, and I get that, too. I get reaching a point with an artist and just being like, I'm done here. Yeah. And it's, especially, yeah. you know, being a Jewish person and, and with his anti-Semitism, it's just like, for me, that is just so unforgivable because that not only 
people like will say will defend Kanye and say, oh well, you know he has this mental issues and stuff like that. But then the politicians they'll take this things that he's saying on his while he's going through his mental distress and they platform his ideas. Right. So it's yeah, and that's where it becomes dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's becoming more of but like I a would argue like accepted thing. I would argue that that's that's every bit on again. You know, I'm targeting. Jimmy Kimmel and whoever else, yeah. but you know, I, I feel like that's every bit on the people who make light of it as much as it is the people who give him a platform to keep saying whatever he is. I, I feel like it's on both. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and like, uh, sort of related to this, like, for example, like, you know, for me, like if I see someone maybe in their Insta story or somewhere being like, Oh, like posting, Oh, I'm listening to this Kanye song or I'm doing, you know, I bought this Kanye shirt. You know, this is, I'm just using him as an example for all canceled artists. Right. Right. Like what, what is like, how does that make you see that, that friend or that person that, you know? So I, let me say this. And, uh, this is again, the second time you might decide to edit, uh, what I have to say on the show, but I personally, as much as I love music and I know a ton about the history of music with respect to, uh, artists' personal lives, I generally keep my head in the sand. Okay. And, uh, for example, our, on the infectious group podcast, uh, I don't know, probably a year ago, we did a review of a Kanye album and I had no idea that what was going on with his ex. And I don't even know who she was dating at the time, but she was dating somebody and there was a whole thing. And you were a person who got at me and was like, Hey, you know, do you think it's a smart idea to, to cover, this Kanye record, you know? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. Like what happened, you know? And you told me, so, and let, it's hard to say because if I saw a friend just use a Kanye song in their uh, story or whatever, was, my guess is they probably have their head more in the sand than me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like they don't click on entertainment stories or they don't watch extra or they don't watch TMZ or they're not on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like that, that part of the world exists. Uh, I, I only know that cause I exist in a good amount <laughs> of, of that world, you know? And, uh, so I, you know, I wouldn't instantly be like, Oh, do you know, you know, or, or whatever. But, uh, for example, like you, I appreciate you reaching out to me about that because when I told you that you were like, Hey, you know, just for your brand, this might not look good. You know, uh, side note, it wasn't my pick. Yeah. It was not Russ's you know, like the MJ thing, the MJ thing. Like I have Michael Jackson tattoo on my leg. I, and I live in Florida now, so I'm always in shorts, Oh yeah, you know, so I'm sure there's opinions on that when I'm walking around. Uh, I post heavily about him on my personal page, uh, my personal Facebook page and stuff. Uh, and I'm certain there's a, uh, there's gotta be people that are like, Oh, does he not know? You know? Uh, and I've, and I've also had people flat out come up to me and be like, really? You know? And, and I am like, okay, well, this depends on how long of a conversation you want to have about this, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, and, I, and at the end of the day, I'm always like, yes, I'm aware. I think he's innocent. If you'd like to hear why I'll tell you sit down and I have, yeah. you have three or four hours to discuss this, you know, yeah. um, you know, or we can just go our separate ways, you know, but it, and that's hypocritical too, because the same person that'll talk to me about that will still play Billie Jean in their car when no one's, Oh, like, of course. You know, so like, of course. Yeah. But having said that, like if, 
The recent one with Kanye is a hard one to walk because that story was everywhere. Right. It, it, especially his most recent comments, I feel like are are such that, a... That's what I'm saying. The, the anti-Semitism was everywhere. Yeah. This wasn't a thing. I feel like the thing that happened with his ex-wife would be like, if you watch TMZ yeah. or you watch Extra, you, you're going to know about that. This was... A different level. You, know, you, <laughs> you, you, you watch one of the following shows. You watch the nightly news. You, you, you use Google. You, you know what I mean? Twitter. Like that. Yeah. Like those, that one I feel is a little different. So I don't know. And it also could be a thing too, where people could be like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an old hit, a gold digger. Somebody could post gold digger and be like, Oh, I, I love this song so much. This is, but it's okay. Cause it's before he said all that stuff. You know, I, I wouldn't hit play on that stream. Right. But I don't know if I'd, Comment somebody if they do. Right. I, I think, yeah, I don't really think I, I don't typically like bring that type of thing up with people when I see it in their story. Um, but it, I mean, it does definitely like, it definitely is something that I just like file in my mental <laughs> storage area. Right. No. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. So yeah. I'm like, if it becomes I, a well, pattern. I mean, I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a music snob. I just do it about artists that I don't like. You know, if people are listening to songs I don't like, I'm like, uh, <laughs> they need to get some better judgment. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but uh, another kind of aspect that I wanted to talk about is like if, for example, um, like one person is accused of something in the band and then, you know, do they stay in the band? Do they leave? My, my, my sort of thought process for this, just to give you an example to start the conversation, is with a band called Swimmers. I'm not sure if you know who they are. Mm-hmm. It was a band uh, like a like a I guess you would say like a somewhere between punk and rock. And their drummer was uh, Billy Joe Armstrong's son from Green Day. And he was accused of uh, sexual misconduct with a minor. So they sort of like just kind of like went dark or whatever, like when all this stuff was going on. And Mm -hmm. then now recently they came back and he is no longer a member of the band. Um, One of the other members of the band also left. But like the two main singers are still there um, and they've replaced the other two. But right. now, of course, they're coming back and people are people still want them to be canceled because of what had all happened. And supposedly, like everyone knew that what the drummer was doing with this minor and sort of thing. See, and again, that's such a hard, hard line to walk, you know, like I, because we don't know who knew what and unless somebody produces massive receipts like there was a group text you know where he was like i'm doing this and they're all like hooray you know right. like i mean there's no you know what i mean like there's no unless somebody produces massive receipts on that and also when somebody does something like that uh to me a lot of times it ends up being like he's the one who got caught you know like all, uh, an absurd amount of that behavior goes on in in rock and roll yeah and I feel like there's always the one guy who gets outed for it. And then everybody else just gets to be like, Oh yeah, what a, what a dick, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, you know, but I, it's hard to say. I like with that, I feel like if they, if they got rid of the person, whether it's right or not, if they got rid of the person who was, uh, uh, caught, right. You know, I, I like, again, without any proof of whoever else was up to what, I mean, you know, and I, and I, I do agree. Uh, I, I have never been in a touring band myself, but I have friends who have toured in very high profile uh, acts. And I can tell you that the 
tour bus life is a very closed circle. Oh yeah. Uh, it would be, I would be shocked if people didn't know what was going on. And also for years, and again, this is grandpa comes from a different time for years. <laughs> that was not only encouraged, but, but praised that type of behavior. So you also have to wonder about the environment that he came from, you know, like what's to blame here? You know, is it, is it the, those kids in that band or is it the environment that they came up in? Right. You know, that's true. And and, and for me, like in, in that situation, like with swimmers, in my opinion, you know, um, the person who did the thing that was wrong is gone. So I, I don't necessarily agree with all the hate that they still get to this day. Right. Um, but of course, you know, that is up to interpretation for other people. I just think it's so weird um, when like, like, for example, like, you know, you'll be like, oh, well, this guy's no longer in the band. Like, I think, you know, we can give these there, there are other people in the band that did nothing uh, a chance <laughs> to do what they right. do. So but then then people want to call you like um, the R, R word apologist. Right. And people like are just like are going full on like social justice, full, full woke on you. And that's the part where it's like other people can make up their own minds like you you are not the sole decider of what happened in a situation that you aren't even a part of right you weren't there yep you don't and know like i know this is uh, quite a bit different situation but i brought up the mumford and sons earlier you know there's the i don't even know all the details i just know that one of them uh either liked or complimented the uh the author of a very right-wing book and the world came down on this guy's head, you know, and in and, and the time since Marcus Mumford has put out a, a solo record. But in my opinion, for all intents and purposes, that Mumford and Sons brand is dead. Yeah. OK. Because there's there, there's there's no and I'm not saying I think it should be dead. Right. I think it should be, you know, I we and, and the other thing is this, too. And this is where it's kind of similar to the swimmers thing. We don't know what the other two's politics are. Personally, I wish we didn't know anybody's politics, yeah. but that's just that's the world me. we live in now. Yeah, it's the world we live in, man. I'll tell you, they used to say when I was a kid, which was right before the invention of color television, mm -hmm. they used to say, uh, they used to say, don't ever discuss religion or politics at party. Yeah. And social media is the world's biggest party. And that's all we talk about is religion and politics yep. on both. And that's how we're ruining the party, in my opinion. But we don't even know the the political stance of the other two guys in that act. I just feel like there is no way you come out with a Mumford and Sons branded album and ever sell it again after that. Yeah. Because people don't my problem with woke culture slash woke mob stuff is if you do your research and you want to have an educated conversation on the things that occurred, great. I I'm Tell me about it all day long. I'd love to to listen and let's have a debate about this. But if you put out another Mumford and Sons record, what's going to happen is somebody who read half of a story once is going to be like, that's the alt-right guys. Or or the, just the headline, maybe. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, ma, uh, uh, maligned country alt-rock group puts <laughs> out new album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. I, that's the problem that I have, you know, is like, let's all take a step back. Let's be a little bit more educated on things. And then, you know, or, you know, you love being on your phone so damn much when something like that happens, Google it for yourself, get informed, find out what happened. You know Read what I mean? Articles like, for yourself. Cause it, it is so easy to just be like, Oh, this has happened. Oh, this, like I saw this tweet and this happened. And, and, you know, Twitter is such like a um, moment to moment, like, 
experience when you know that it's yep. just like oh like i read this and it must be true because it has thirty five thousand likes on it or something like that um right. so it's just i mean to know. circle to circle things back to mj and i i promised i was getting off my <laughs> mj course but here here we are again circle things back to mj about about 10 times a week i see someone who desperately needs attention so much on social media that they'll use michael jackson's name in a tweet and the tweet reads almost the exact same every time how is it that so-and-so got canceled, but we're still allowed to listen to Michael Jackson? And anytime Michael Jackson fans start sharing facts with these people, they get blocked. And it's like, that's willful ignorance. Right. They, people don't want to uh, take the opportunity to like learn anything or hear somebody else's perspective anymore. Right. Right. And that's, you know, that's how I feel. Like, for example, I'm, I'm hazy on the Mumford and Sons thing because it's been years. Right. right. But if they put out, if they put out, if, if a new Mumford record came out this Friday, the first thing I would do would be look into the personnel on the record. And then if the one guy is back in the fold, I'd look and see what he's been up to since before I decide if I'm going to support it or not, or even say a word to anyone else about it. Yeah. That's what I think too, is like, you know, if, that's people like just people want black and white uh answers and the world doesn't isn't black and white you know so you have to really kind of do that research for yourself and in my opinion like if some you know like we said depending on what someone's done um there is uh you know you know that you kind of use that as like a gauge like of you know on on if they can be like redeemed or that sort of thing but it's like and there are there are people that can learn their lesson. I again, I cannot stress enough how much I don't hate the guy, but I'm just not what you classify as a John Mayer fan. So like, whether he's allowed to release music or not does not matter in my world at all. Like, but if people can learn from the mistakes that they made, isn't that great? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it, it, shouldn't we all be excited about that? Because everyone makes mistakes, and it's just with celebrities, it's um you know about them because they're a well-known person. <laughs> so it's like, you know, if we knew all of you, yeah. like your mistakes, like the person accusing people of like all this, you know, and canceling people, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I'm sure we've all done things that we all regret in our lives. And like you said, I, I think that people should be given another chance, you know, depending on what was done. Like you said, was someone convicted of something? Uh, was it a, simply an al- alleged, uh, you know, like an allegation sort of thing? Um, right. You kind of have to, you know, use your brain and make an informed decision. <laughs> you mentioned the hypocrisy of social media. My poor fiance, she has to deal with this about three thousand times a week for yeah. me. But when we're in the, when we're in the car and someone cuts us off in traffic, or I see someone yelling at a clerk at a store or whatever else, every single time I see it, I go, "That person's going to go home and post on their social media about how we should all love each other more." Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, it's a lot of hypocrisy. Um, you know, I feel like we could tangent off, but I'm going to try and rein it in a little bit. Um, Great. Because <laughs> I, I will keep There are going. things I would like to say, but, um, you know, you have to use your brain and you have to use common sense and you can't just trust everything that you hear online in a, in a forum or on a Twitter or that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I and I get it. It's hard for people to, you know, stop listening to problematic artists because you make such a bond, like a, you know, a very uh, innocent bond with their music. And then to find out, Oh, this person's been doing this is just like so heartbreaking. So I understand having people having trouble, like dropping Kanye, you know, people that have been around for a while, but at the same time, it's just like, I mean, Kanye is unexcusable, but um, 
but yeah, I think it just kind of like you need to use your best opinion and not try and force your beliefs on other people. All I can do is agree. Yep. <laughs> I guess that was supposed to be a mini topic. We really got into it, but I, that was a good conversation. I enjoyed that. For sure. Um, yeah, it's crazy what happens when people talk and listen to each other. Yeah, it? it's wild <laughs> when people are actually given a chance we don't, to talk. We don't do that on my show. We don't do that on my show. No. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So uh, the other mini topic we had for today is the Ticketmaster Monopoly. This is another fairly new, uh, you know, recent development. People are, you know, of course, it was brought to like the mainstream because of the the Taylor Swift fans, but it's been an issue a lot longer than that. Um, you know, it was an issue fought in uh, what was it in the two th- uh, late nineties, early two thousands by Pearl mid, Jam, mid nineties, mid nineties Pearl Jam. Yep. yep, I was there for that. I remember telling people as that Pearl Jam thing was going down, and people were all laughing at them. I remember going, "This, you guys, they're do, they're they're right. This is not Metallica versus Napster." like Pearl Jam is right. And I'm telling you, this is going to come bite us all in the ass. And I remember the big, big thing was growing up in Detroit with, for the first couple of tours, we saw Pearl Jam at your Ticketmaster location. So we saw him at the state theater in Detroit. We saw him at uh, Hill auditorium in Ann Arbor and it was super easy. Well, uh, around the time they were touring for Vitalogy, I think mm-hmm. we all had to go out to like literally some farmland <laughs> in the middle of like central Michigan right. and whatever, because it was the only venue that wasn't locked down by Ticketmaster at the time. And I remember, you know, and at the time I was 17, 18 years old and it, that's a hardship for kids at that age to travel that far for a show and even come by the tickets. Right. Cause you couldn't just stop at any record store at the time and go to any Ticketmaster outlet or anything. You had to like, you had to jump through some hoops to get these tickets. Oh, yeah. And I understand that I get all of the negatives of that. But people laughed at Pearl Jam, and now we're here. Things have gotten worse since then. I feel like, gosh, man, where to start? Um, has this Ticketmaster monopoly affected how often that you go to concerts now? Uh, okay, so this is a weird one for me to answer because, and I'm, you know, I know it's a running joke that I'm old, but I'm old. <laughs> and I've seen everyone that I've ever wanted to see two, three, four times. You know, I mean, I've seen Aerosmith over 20 times. I've seen the Black Crows over 20 times. I've, Jesus, I've seen Guns N' Roses over 20 times. Like, I've I've literally seen every artist that I could want to see, right? And it's not hard to still see artists on the come up, okay? Like, the two examples I use is over the course of the last 10 years, I went to see Fun right before some nights broke on the recommendation of a record store employee. Like I, I was in the neighborhood. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with their material, but the album before some nights is called uh, aim and ignite. And I was at a record store and uh, at least I'm not as sad as I used to be. It was on. And I was like, Oh, this is a great tune. And the guy was like, Oh my God, if you think this is great, you should go see him tonight. They're at St. Andrews hall. And I was like, well, who, who is it? And he's like, they're called fun. And I was like, well, all right. So I went and we went down to St. Andrews hall. It's on. We were blown away. Uh, Sturgill Simpson is the same way. I saw Sturgill Simpson right before he broke. And, you know, so for me, it doesn't matter what is going on with Ticketmaster now because I've already seen all the quote unquote legends I want to see. Right. And it's just not that hard to go see anybody on the come up, you know? And and I too, I guess when I asked this question too, I should kind of specify because I feel like there is sort of like a line where the trouble begins, <laughs> um, you know, with smaller acts between smaller acts and larger acts. So 
Uh, you know, yep. those smaller acts, I feel like there's not as much trouble yet, at least getting those uh, tickets. But like for for bigger artists, um, for example, like I, you know, wanted to go see Blink-182 and that experience was awful. I'm sure it's very yeah. similar to what the Taylor Swift fans went through. So it was just like because Ticketmaster now is doing like dynamic pricing and they're allowing people to resell tickets on their own website now it's more lucrative and beneficial to them to allow Mm -hmm. that um, because they get a cut of the resale as well as when it was originally sold yeah which is insane that's insane you know and when you said it's harder to see people the bigger x like i can clearly draw the line between what it was like seeing an artist before and after uh, when 21 came out by Adele, I bought tickets to see her at the Royal Oak music theater before the record blew up and the tickets were $15 a piece. Wow. So we saw <laughs> Adele on the 21 tour in a 2000 seat place for $15. That's wild. When, when uh, 25 came out, we saw her at the Palace of Auburn Hills for $180 a person. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's like if you move X amount of tickets, then all of a sudden your tickets price or uh, uh, X amount of albums, your ticket prices are going to jump by, you know, 10, per, uh, 10 times now. Right. But you hit on the absolute problem. How on earth Ticketmaster is allowed to own StubHub is beyond me. Right. It's not, in my opinion, it's not the sale of the tickets that's the problem. It's the resale of the tickets. Yeah. And even if if you take Subhub away from Ticketmaster, people might say, okay, well, then it, that's just going to break it up and there's going to be like 10 different resale sites. That's good for the consumer. Competition is good for the consumer. Right. If there were 10 different ticket selling resale sites, there's a number of things that are fixed for consumers then. First of all, botting isn't so easy because you have to be set up on so many different uh, sites. Second of all, I am not going to legally accuse Ticketmaster of anything on your show. But like you said, when someone has a vested interest in both the sale and the resale, you can't tell me that something screwy isn't going on there. Right. I mean, I, I cannot tell you the difficulty that I've experienced trying to get concert tickets for like bigger concerts. Uh, like I, like you'll go right when they're on sale uh, and they'll just like sell out immediately. Like, and all the, t- you'll see tickets like almost immediately available. And it's like, Oh, this is a resale ticket. This is a resale ticket. And you, it's like, how, right. how are these tickets listed for resale? So, so damn quickly that, um, right. that like during a presale, like you're only seeing resale options. <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's certain artists who have worked around it to the best of their uh, ability. For example, Garth Brooks, when he did his comeback tour in, I think, I want to say 2014, uh, Garth did two things that were stunning. One, he made every seat in the arena $20, period. Two, he stayed in every city until shows weren't selling out anymore. So, like, in Detroit, he did six shows because in the last show, it was funny. The last show was like just over three quarters full because when people weren't buying tickets anymore, he was like, okay, we can move on from the city now. Right. That's a good way to like, do it. That's a great way to do it because it kills the resale mar- value completely. Oh, totally. You know? Now again, 
that's Garth Brooks. He's got a gazillion records sold. He's from the good old days when artists made money on their record deals and people bought albums, you know? So I understand that like, you know, an artist coming up now is not going to be able to do something like that. I, I get that. Even Taylor Swift, I don't think could, could pull that off. Like she's worth a gazillion dollars and I still don't know if she could pull off exactly that. Yeah. Right. Concerts to put on a concert tour is probably a lot more expensive than people think. Oh, it, it, it is. It is. And, and again, they all, I'm not, I've never toured myself. I just know folks who have been in high profile acts, but I will also tell you, and uh, I will name names for you offline if you okay. want, but for legal, legal reasons, I'm not going to name names on your show, but having had friends who have toured with very high profile, very current acts, I can tell you that a lot of the artists are in on this also. Okay. They have it set up. They have it set up to where they have whole sections of tickets that never go on sale to the public. They're only available as resale tickets. And they have it set up that way because they get a cut of the resale value of the ticket. Interesting. So, and now, and I, I want to say that I, I said that very adjacent to Taylor Swift as if I was hinting around, I know nothing about Taylor Swift at all. Not connected to Uh, Taylor Swift in any way. Not, no, and and I don't even say that for fear of like making her fans mad. I like I that that's just an earnest statement. Like I don't know anything about her business, but I do know about other very current artists who absolutely have that in their their contracts. Yep. And it, and it's like literally everyone is part of the problem. Yeah. Everybody. E- everyone has their hands and, in the in the pot. And I've always been, and I think I've said this to you personally, Seth, like I think you've said to me before like hey, are you going to see so and so and I've said uh, if I haven't said this to you, I've said it to many other people. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, are you going to are you going to see so and so? And I always think, no, I, like I'm going to leave that ticket for somebody who really wants to go to that show. Like I'm a casual. I know this sounds funny, but the bands I always think of like that, like the Eagles, come to mind. And this was back when tickets were were normal price back in the '90s when the Eagles did their first reunion tour. Everybody I know asked me, "Oh, you want to go see the Eagles with me? You want to go?" And I'm like, "No, I." I'm just not an Eagles guy, right? So like, right. <laughs> I would rather I would rather somebody who just loves the Eagles gets to go see the Eagles before me, who's gonna be like, I wish they'd do Hotel California so I could leave. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> can we uh, rush and this? I think a lot of I think a lot of the nature of music these days, how disposable music has become because of streaming. I think that people are just like, Oh, that's a hot thing. I should like I guarantee you a bunch of people trying to get those Taylor Swift tickets just know of her as a thing. Like it won't matter to them to sing along to blank space at the top of their lungs. Like it, like it should. Yeah. It's more of a status sort of thing. Uh, or like yeah. to be cool. Yeah. I saw that even on the latest Roger Waters tour, the t- the people that were sitting to either side of us absolutely had no clue about the greater majority of Pink Floyd's material. Like they absolutely were there because they were told by somebody that this was like the end show to see. And I just was like, why would you spend two <laughs> hours of your life? Well, even like, you know, why would you spend the parking, money on you know? that? Cause that's yeah, not like, a cheap why ticket. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot of huge problems going on all at the same time. But I think the very first step needs to be separating Ticketmaster from any sort of resale. I, It's so hard to wrap my head around, you know, what if Target had a store that was attached to it that was simply for marking up hot toys during Christmas? People would lose their minds. Oh, yeah. And, like, 
people, I probably, when I said that, your listeners are probably like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. That's it, what Ticketmaster and StubHub is. <laughs> yeah. It's what they're doing. You know, so, and then it, when, you know, when you say artists are in on it, well, you know, what are you going to do if it's part of the game? Right. You know, that, to, that to me is a hate the player, not the game or I hate the game, not the player, you know? Yeah. And what do you think we can do? What do you think should be done? Like in this sort of ticket master, because I think, I think it's being investigated. Hopefully some things will be done to protect the consumers. Uh, what, what do you see as like an ideal outcome from this? The only thing I want is for Ticketmaster to be completely separated in every single way from any reseller. Okay. I don't know if that means liquidating StubHub. I don't I don't know what that looks like, but there is no other industry on earth where you would be allowed to have your hand in the resale aspect of the product that you sell. Yeah. I I agree with that and and I personally I think dynamic pricing needs to go. I don't see a reason for that. There is uh there should be a price set by the artist or you know whoever comes up with the 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 price ranges for different seats and then that should just be it. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's one of those things where it's like uh uh resale of tickets and stuff and and you know, if you go on eBay whatever hot toy is out or whatever, there's always be and it's like I get, I've personally have never taken part in any sort of resale of stuff. Like even when I sold off my uh, vinyl collection, I had a ridiculous collection and I sold it off for like a fair price. Like I didn't, you know, overcharge and I never collected any of the records I did with the purpose of flipping them, you know, but I understand, cons- uh, uh, I, I get capitalism, you know, like I understand that that's how it goes. And it's like uh, some people are in a position to work higher paid jobs than other people. And some people are in a position to get these tickets and flip them. So, uh, you know, I get that. And the dynamic pricing thing, my issue with dynamic pricing is so far is Ticketmaster's whole justification seems to be, uh, well, it's like the airlines. Yeah. it's, it's People hate the value. airlines. Yeah. People do not like yeah. airlines. Yeah. People hate the airlines. And again, you, in my opinion, you are fostering a, a bad concert experience because you're going to get people who can pay the most. They're not the people who love the adore artist. That artist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love for set ticket prices to be a thing. I don't think they're ever going to be. And I also don't think I'm going to get my way on StubHub going away, but uh, right. or not being part of Ticketmaster, but ideal world. Sure. Both of those things. Great. Yeah, I think all of those changes would be great. And and I would even throw in maybe like separating Ticketmaster or um uh Ticketmaster and, and Live Nation again. Well, and those deals that I alluded to earlier are a lot to do with those 365 deals that you hear about. Okay. So yes, Live Nation is a big, big part of it. And uh, you know, it's it's such a much grander discussion because a lot of this would be alleviated if fans would just buy music instead of taking it for granted or you know considering themselves a fan because they stream something i understand the average artist that is like look yes i'm doing art but i also would love to make some money at this you know or at least be able to have a living at this you know but if fans aren't gonna buy the music on whatever format, I'm not just saying vinyl, like on whatever format, Digital if fans aren't going to pay. Yeah. Yeah. If the fans aren't going to pay the artist for the music, this money's going to get made some way. Those lasers and lights and smoke <laughs> machines don't pay for themselves. Right. Like, 
you know what I mean? You know, and and also there's another thing too, where this thing where people just follow the crowd to whatever the hot thing is, has got to stop. We got to have, you know, I, I used fun as an example. The only reason I've ever seen fun in concert is because I started a conversation with a guy at a record store and he was super excited to tell me to go see that band. And I saw him and they were awesome. Right. Right. Like I would never go see fun just because everybody else said to go see fun, you know? Right. Definitely. So yeah, I think, uh, I think those are all good, all good suggestions for the Ticketmaster thing. I, I definitely am going to follow it as, as best as I can to see what happens and what comes out of it. And, and hopefully like something happens and it's not just like some performative thing that's happening right now, just to, yeah. you know, yep. so we'll see. Stay tuned, everyone. It's time to discuss the main album now. All right, let's get into our main topic for the day. We have our album review. Uh, Nirvana's Nevermind album is their second album released in September 24th, 1991. It was their first album featuring their new drummer, Dave Grohl. The album was produced by Butch Vig, and the album was written mostly by Kurt Cobain and includes a range of emotions and themes of anti-establishment, anti-sexism, frustration, alienation, and Kurt's breakup with Bikini Kill's Toby Vale. By January 1992, it reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 200. Uh, in, in March 1999, it was certified diamond by the RIAA. In addition to being one of the best-selling records of all time, it was added to the National Recording Registry in 2004 as quote-unquote culturally, uh, historically, or aesthetically important and is frequently ranked on lists of the greatest albums of all time. Quite an impressive, quite an impressive amount of background. On a, it, It's to say that this record is a... Uh, a cultural touchstone would be an understatement. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, just to kind of like start this conversation, um, we do have, we, I like to do themes for my seasons. And for this uh, second season, we're doing sophomore slump albums. Is it a sophomore slump or just, uh, is that just like a record industry term? <laughs> you know, I think, I always attribute this quote to Eddie Vedder, so I think it's Eddie Vedder oh, who said okay. it. Either, either that, either that, or I've just said it's Eddie Vedder a lot and made it. Eddie Vedder, <laughs> it's his but, new quote. Uh, yeah, somebody once said that you have your whole life to write your first record, and you have eighteen months to write the second one. Yeah, and I think that's what happens a lot with sophomore records is people, and and if anybody has a huge breakout debut album, what inevitably follows, and this is any era is at least a year and a half tour you're on every single talk show you're on saturday night live you're on uh you know making back in the day making music videos doing uh every interview ever and then where's the time to write a second record that's any good you know and it, it you can do one of two things you can either go way out on a limb and do something completely different or you can just put out what you think people want to hear and i think either one of those ends up usually being what people view as the sophomore slump. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's interesting, um, you know, as our, you know, my sophomore season of the show and just to sort of relate it in that way, I thought it would be a really interesting theme um, just to kind of like dissect or and look at sophomore albums just to see 
you know, is this a sophomore slump or, and, and I've chosen albums that I are pretty well known and did pretty well. So I'm, I'm basically trying to disprove the, the whole sophomore slump theory. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And this is one of those records, too, where, I mean, this is obviously their breakout LP. Uh, You know, Bleach wasn't anywhere even in the discussion with the sales of this record. Right. And one thing that I think a lot of people don't really take into consideration with Nevermind is, although it in part changed the social landscape a great deal, was that was never the intent of the record when this album was recorded at no point did Dave Christ and Kurt look at each other and be like, Oh man, we're going to unseat warrant. Right. Like where everybody's going to, you know, like, Oh boy, you know, they were just making a record. And so this record for me has different connotations from the average sophomore slump moniker, because people that tell you that they owned bleach before, never mind, are one of two people. They're either, uh, they're, well, they're either, uh, not telling the truth. Yeah. Or, or they lived in uh, Aberdeen. Right, yeah. You know, like, that, that's that's the two people who tell you that they owned uh, Bleach before they owned Nevermind. Right. You know, so I feel like with this, it's a great sophomore record to start with because it's a very special case. It, yeah, this is a, a monster album, I guess you could say. Um, For sure. And uh, just to kind of ease into our discussion, uh, you know, like we've been saying, Russ is uh, an old and uh, I was just wondering what it was like to be alive when Nirvana was first coming onto the scene. I think you've maybe been to a few concerts of theirs as well. Yeah, yeah. I, what's funny is I saw them, uh, I guess you could call it on the Bleach tour. Uh, I saw them at a bar in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan called The Blind Pig. Okay. And, and my brother took me to the show and the whole time I was like, who are we going to see? And he's like, it doesn't, you don't know who they are. I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, and they were terrible. I mean, terrible. terrible. <laughs> and what, and what's funny is my biggest thing was the whole night I kept going on about, I was like, I can't stand this drummer. Like, damn it. I don't like this drummer at all. So, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but the day that my brother bought Never mind. He, you, I, we parked at a Harmony House, which is a local Michigan uh, record chain, and uh, parked at a Harmony House. He goes, I'm just running and get an album. And I said, Who is it? He goes, You know that band you hated their drummer? I said, Yeah. He goes, They put out a new album. And I, <laughs> and I was like, Sweet. He didn't yes. even know they, they had. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even know they had a new uh, drummer. And uh, I kid you not, he got back in the truck. He put in, uh, Never mind. And for the first time in my life, I heard Teen Spirit. And uh, as soon as Grohl kicked down, I was like, Well, this guy got way better. You yeah. know, because like neither of us had it. Yeah, any idea that it was a different drummer. You yeah, know, we didn't know anything. Uh, but the thing, the big thing about when Nirvana came about for me, because I was there, they, in this order, Moses came down with the Stone Tablets, yeah, and then right after that, yeah, Nirvana uh, released Nevermind. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what people people act these days, and you talk about revisionist history. There are whole ass magazines like uh, well, I'm looking at you, Spin. I'm looking at you, Rolling Stone. <laughs> yeah. Who 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 write these articles and act like the day that Nevermind came out, all other music ceased to be. Right. And it's just not true. You know, there were Warrant, Poison, uh, Skids. All those bands were still touring arenas well into '93. You know, and if you want any sort of proof of that, uh, go to YouTube and look up the 1993 VMAs, right? At the time, MTV was what was hot and they they, they were a uh, uh, tastemaker at the time, right? Go look up the VMAs from 93. You still had all those acts performing on there, you know, two years later, you know? But what did happen 
was the very start of people going, okay, there is a lot more out there than what we've heard for the past five years. Right. Right. Kind of just to add on to your point is that um, like the movie singles, uh, they've, they've like shot and filmed that whole thing. Like, you know, because like around this time and when the album came out and they, the, the, you know, business people, the execs like would not put the album out because they didn't think it would be a viable soundtrack. And then, you know, Nirvana came along basically and, and nevermind broke out into the scene and they saw, Oh wow. Like this, <laughs> this is a whole new thing. And then they're like, now we're going to put the movie out. Yeah. And, and, and every, everybody, started getting promoted an entire genre that existed that nobody really wanted to be a part of really <laughs> pay any attention to. Well, okay. So, and again, this is cause I'm an old, if you look up an old Rolling Stone issue, say if you look up the charts from like, uh, cause every Rolling Stone issue or used to, uh, have the, the current billboard top 200 albums in the back. And if you go look up an issue of Rolling Stone from 85, 86, 87, all the way through 90 or whatever else, there was always the top 200 albums which was where you would find uh, Paul Abdul, Michael Jackson, Poison, uh, New Edition, every, like everybody's a current artist, right? Yeah. And then every issue at the very end of that chart had the top 10, quote, college rock albums, right? Yeah. And if you're looking at that countdown, you would see uh, The Furs, R.E.M., Chili Peppers, Susie and the Banshees, like these names would always reoccur mm-hmm. whenever I was reading Rolling Stone, yeah. right? And I had a friend of mine in uh, a very small town in Michigan who was the kid who played like Mother's Milk for me by the Chili Peppers first, oh, uh, wow. Green by R.E.M. first, uh, uh, Chili Peppers Freaky Styley. Like this cat, you know, he was a skater. He played that type of music. I mean, yeah, he's the kid I heard the Dead Candies from yeah. first, right? But, that, but the only reason I recognized any of those names was because I happened to know a kid who was into that kind of music. So when I saw R.E.M. Green on the quote college rock charts yeah. <laughs> for, you know, a year straight, I'm like, Oh, that's that, you know, that's that record that you like, I knew orange crush and stand because of this kid. Right. You know, yeah. now all of a sudden we get into 1991 and out of time has moved out of the college rock corner yeah. up to number one. Right. Yeah. Uh, now all of a sudden the B 52s are not, the weirdos from Atlanta now. Oh, Oh, aren't they so cool and unique? And it's like player that that band's been cool and unique for a, a long decade. Time now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And y'all are just now acting like, you know, they're all of a sudden the, the B 52s have come from nowhere. Like, no, they've, they've been here. They've been here. They've been here the whole time. Yeah. So I think that what I always tell people, I think the difference is there's two albums that people, it really irks me when people call them alternative records. Okay. One is Nevermind and the other is 10. Okay. By Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Those are two rock albums. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But by anybody's stretch of the imagination, I don't care how you define what genre or subgenre, Nevermind and 10 are rock albums. They're not alternative they're not college rock. They're rock albums. I would put uh, Nevermind almost in the like punk rock category. For sure. Because that, sure. that was like I, yeah. Kurt's whole thing. Yeah. And I the reason why I say that is because it's almost like people need to justify that. The, oh, no, this is something different. No, it's not. It's it's just different than what you're used to. Right. Is all right. Like you've heard me go on my show. I am no apologist for uh, <laughs> quote unquote hair metal. Right. I love me some hair metal. Yeah. But hair metal is about exactly three things. All every hair metal song is about exactly three things. Wine, women, and song. I 
happen to love those songs. You know, I love 18 in life and and every rose has its thorn and all that stuff. But that because I love that when I heard smells like teen spirit, I didn't instantly have to label this. Oh, this is different. And I think it's just not. And I think with, with grunge too, there is a lot of influence from those eighties hair metal bands in the music. So, I mean, yep. I think that they're definitely like, that was definitely like the next natural progression after hair metal or quote unquote, but it's, it's all rock music. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, w- and, and what has for some reason become more of the, the believed story since is, uh, oh, well, uh, uh, alternative came along and killed you know, hair metal. Nope. 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 Yeah. I, it wouldn't it's they be not, a, included in yeah. hair metal or hair metal? Wouldn't that be included in alternative? Yeah. In my I opinion. Mean, I know. don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So when Nirvana first hit, the accurate version of it yeah. is that it was, it was, I mean, they sold a gajillion records, but they were just there. They were just part of the scene. They weren't, you know, if you look at the 92 VMAs, the acts that headlined that, that were on the show was, you know, U2, uh, uh, Chili Peppers, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Guns N' Roses uh, was the finale of the show, right? Yeah. Like Nirvana was just part of the fabric that was going on at the time. I mean, granted, they were king of the hill, right? For yeah, they were up there. Album sales, yeah, but they were they were just part of the fabric of what was going on. And what was awesome for me was that having been brought up in uh, listening to so many different things that I didn't have to label myself as, Oh no, I'm an alternative fan. I listen to, I listen to Pearl Jam and screaming trees. Oh, Ergo, gosh. I'm an alternative. Like, yeah, like nevermind was just a record that I owned. I owned the vanilla ices album the same year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I just listen, I just listened to what I liked. Yeah. And the only big thing that occurred to me was when they came near Detroit for nevermind, it sold out so fast. I didn't get to see him with the new drummer that I didn't, I didn't get to see him again until the in utero tour. Yeah. What was that like? I was kind of curious what your, cause I know you, you didn't, did not have a good first experience. <laughs> I was wondering what the difference no. would be in your second time. Well, as unpolished as Kurt Cobain would like you to think Nirvana was as a whole, much more polished show. Now you have a set. Now you have lights that go with, songs and uh you know it's not like now there wasn't huge video screens or anything but uh they were far far (laughs) far better i honestly there there's been a lot of live nirvana cuts released over the years but uh if you listen to that record um from the muddy banks of the whiska yeah that's a good uh, one the first live record honestly that's a very accurate representation of the show that i got the the first time yeah okay oh no yeah well the the uh the in utero tour oh gotcha okay yeah gotcha yeah yeah that that is if you if you if you put on a drum machine terribly and screamed over it that's an accurate representation of the show i got when i saw (laughs) bleach (laughs) with one of their original drummers yeah very cool and have you ever like i know you used to live in detroit so used to be by hitsville usa Mm -hmm. have you ever been to any sort of like nirvana centric locations or anything like that no i this is kind of an odd thing but i for years i always thought because i i'm a huge elvis fan and i went to graceland a lot when i was a kid and elvis passed at graceland and it never it never bothered me so for years i always thought and this is going to sound morbid, but it's not. I always thought it would be cool to travel to like certain 
locations that are important in uh an artist's passing right like maybe go to where uh the plane crash was for the the big three you know or just to kind of like pay my respects type thing yeah i guess if that makes sense and the the thing that changed that for me was around 2006 i was in manhattan and i went to the dakota building uh which is you know john lennon was uh, passed away in front of the dakota building i'm not a big spiritual type person but uh standing on the stoop of the dakota building i had like the most uh, powerful sense of like grief and sorrow come over me Yeah, to where that kind of took it. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't think I want to go anymore, uh, you know? And uh, the, all of that is to say when Kurt passed away, I, that was on my list of like, okay, well maybe I should go up near the house and just kind of pay my respects type thing. But that, uh, that visit to the Dakota building in Manhattan really took, the wind out of my sails for wanting i like i have uh kind of a mental block on wanting to go to paisley park right because mm-hmm. prince because prince passed away there right um so i'm not even sure how i'm going to handle that he's uh, prince has been gone now for six or seven years and i still haven't gone oh, wow. uh, i i, I want to be clear i have no issue with them opening it as a museum he right. prince mm-hmm. was preparing for it to be a museum when he passed uh and i've been back to graceland several times since i went to the Dakota building and I still have no issues there. I mean, Elvis is literally buried on the grounds. Right. And I have no issues with that. So I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe Paisley Park would be that way, but it's because of that. And the fact that anytime I ever saw Kurt in public, he just never seemed like a happy person. Like I don't know of anywhere I could go where I could partake in any amount of joy that he might've felt while he was there. Right. Yeah, I guess that could, that would be true because, you know, like he definitely had a rough upbringing and things like that. I did uh, go to Olympia and went to the house where he was basically with living with his girlfriend and where they wrote a lot of the, the material for this album, actually. And I thought that was really neat. And it had um, it looked like it had been like maybe sublet into like, I don't know if it was a whole house or maybe it was sublet into like different apartments or something like that. But I thought it was cool because there was like a a pride flag in the window. And I thought Kurt would really like approve of that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could see that for sure. It's uh, when you said it's subletted like that, there's a a famous White Stripe song, the Hotel Yorba. Mm-hmm. And that is very much still a building downtown Detroit. And I used to pass by it like almost every day. And uh, that has now become a, uh, a halfway house. Oh, wow. Which like I know Jack is very much still with us, but I got to feel like that's like a, pr- a point of pride too. You know, like that is a place where people can be helped now, you know, and it's only still standing and famous because of their, their song, song, you know? Yeah. So I've, I've been there. I did, uh, you know, I did go to the house. I think, the I think it was a different like like what you were saying like I I definitely I've been to the Dakota and definitely had an anxiety attack because it's just so overwhelming there. Yeah. Um but I had a much different experience at at this. Well, first of all, you know, his house is walled off. You know, you can't just go in there. The people live there. <laughs> but there is a small yeah. park right next door and uh and it's connected to a beach and it's actually a nude beach. So <laughs> Just to warn people, I was not ready to That's see funny. everything that I saw that day. <laughs> but uh, well, I feel like Kurt, Kurt would approve of that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did. I mean, it's a very long-winded way of saying I've just never gone anywhere. Like I'm not. I'm not opposed to it. I just feel like there's so many, so few times I ever saw Kurt be what I, from a way outside view, be truly 
enjoying life. So I'm just like, uh, you know. Yeah, it's different for everybody for sure. Because like, and especially too with like going to Kurt's house now, like the whole section where he passed away and is like gone now. So it's like, I feel like it's a different vibe there for sure. But like the whole, right. and the whole park is like basically just like a tribute to him. Like people will leave like a cigarette or like a pack of smokes there. And they like yeah. write lyrics, his lyrics all over the, the, bench there and so i mean i see that's how i feel with uh, uh strawberry fields that's adjacent to the dakota yeah i should have just stopped there yes yes yeah. that is a that is a good experience <laughs> but yeah it was a great experience i was all fine till i crossed the road right and when i went there oh. i don't know if you had the similar experience when i went there was a, a guitar player just like playing all Beatles songs at, at the yeah i'm sure i'm sure there's always somebody like that there yeah, yeah that was fun but also too if you want to go to like a more of a maybe a more positive environment to see Kurt's, uh, you know, legacy. You can go to the Mopop museum in Seattle. It's a really cool museum that has like a lot of like his stage props from like in utero and the uh, guitars from the unplugged set. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of like, you know, a lot of like, a lot of stuff from the early days too. So that, that was a really cool yeah. thing. And also too, like when I lived in LA, I would go to like Cancer's Deli because Kurt ha- and Courtney had like an apartment right around the corner and they would go eat there a lot. I don't know. It's just like kind of interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess I'm just basically adding myself as a big uh, Nirvana nerd. <laughs> no, yeah, I can dig that. And I would, I would totally go see, like, even though I saw the Unidro tour in person like it'd be cool to see those sets again you know like i'm sure they have the angel like the, yeah mm-hmm. uh, the angel would, pieces yeah, yeah. and, it, and it, the unplugged record is a cornerstone of 90s music it would be very cool to see those you know because i've watched the footage a billion times it'd be cool to see the actual guitars that were used and, and whatever up close so yeah i could i could totally see that for sure it's just i just wouldn't go to any locations you yeah know? i think i don't know maybe the difference between us is i was like i said a little bit younger than you so like you really got to experience the truth like i mean i was aware of nirvana music of course and listened to their the music like you know growing up but i was i was nine ten years old so no yeah yeah i get that it's the only thing i can equate it to and it's it's probably not even close but is queen queen was uh finished touring before i got i I was i was probably about probably nine or 10 Yeah. Mm-hmm. by the time Queen had finished their last tour. And, uh, and then we lost Freddie in 91 and, and, and there was zero chance I was able to see Queen. So, you know, I've done exactly this. I've sat and listened to people talk and talk and talk about seeing Queen. I'm like, go on, tell me more. Yeah. You know? Tell me more. That's I'm really glad, grateful and, and glad to hear you talking about your experiences and going to the concerts and stuff like that. Because yeah, like I think, I think, you know, going to these different places and going to this museum and stuff is just like a way for me to like connect more with the band and with Kurt and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because for me, see again with the Freddie correlation, if they had a place where you could go to see like the queen live at Wembley album, like the, the yellow jacket and all that stuff or, or whatever, I would absolutely You'd be there in a minute. <laughs> go to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. You know, I've seen that footage of queen live at Wembley. Like, I don't know, this is a conservative effort a billion times yeah. <laughs> like i would you know what i mean i would absolutely go just to just to be near that outfit you know absolutely yeah so it's it's just like i don't know it's an interesting experience for sure for me personally like i said i i listened to their singles and listened to their music growing up but for me i didn't really connect with them till like after college that's when i really connected with the lyrics and everything the sentiment behind their Cause, music because it was college rock yeah because it was college magazine. rock you know you, you yeah you have to go to college before yeah. you can understand yeah it's that's the only reason why i got into it was because i just enrolled so yeah you, you know, yeah you went to uh, college and you're like wow this is for me 
but yeah, I, I get, so like, there's only so far that a catchy song will take you, right? Like if you start, if you, if you start listening to lyrics or something and you don't connect with it, there's only so far that a catchy lyric can take you. Okay. Yeah. And for example, there was a lot of people who could not get into Nirvana or wouldn't allow themselves to get into Nirvana when they broke because they love what Poison and Warrant and, and Skid Row had to say. You know what I mean? Like they were like, yeah, I, I too want nothing but a good time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but we all, and, and then here, yeah. And then here comes this guy. I, to me, I equate it to uh, when I was a kid and I first heard rap for, for the very first time. Yeah. We're and we're talking Red DMC, LL Cool J, Cool MOD, mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash, this, this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was all very, very light. It was. It was a lot of almost all rap was uh, them talking about how they were the greatest rapper around or whatever, or how they're going to be the greatest rapper around. Okay. And then about three or four years after that, here comes NWA and PE telling us that there's a lot more going on in the world than just bragging. Right. A lot. They were, okay. they more brought the social issues into the, into the music. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who were into that early rap that were like, okay, but I don't, I barely watch the news. I don't want to hear about how rough it is in LA or New York or Atlanta. And I, and I'm not, uh, that wasn't me, but I'm not saying I understand people who have that, like, you know, the world is hard enough. I don't need to listen to music where they're reminding me that the world is hard enough. Right. right? So I, I do get people that when Nirvana broke was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, I, you know, the news is bad enough. I don't need to hear you moping too, you know? Right. And, and I think I, I totally understand that as well. But like, for me, it was like such a, like a great, like I, I connected to the lyrics. You could get your angers mm-hmm. and frustration out through listening to music, which I think is probably a more healthy way to get that out than to doing like drugs or, you know, other things. So yeah, I definitely as a, as a budding angry young man at the time, and I know you have this as a later point, but I'll mention one now uh, about one of my favorite lyrics off the record is is uh, uh the, I think it's in "Stay Away" the line where he says, "Just because they're not after you doesn't mean you're not paranoid." Right, and that's a line that I was like, "Yeah, yeah," what he said. What he said. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like where I was like, you would you would never hear that in a in a poison or warrant song or whatever you know what i mean like there wouldn't be a a, a truth like that or something that could connect with someone yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh so that i I think that's why i didn't have a problem with nirvana like i i wasn't like you know like i i think that being old enough to see the evolution of rap helped me with that where i was like oh there are yep oh yeah this is a reminder that there's completely other perspectives out there that i'm not used to right what would you say are some of your favorite songs from the album (sighs) I know it's hard to worst. pick. Uh, uh, well, Every song I like all of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I like the all of it. There I do have I do have one that uh when we get to things that aren't so great. But I, I will say this. This is I, I'm probably a little different than a lot of people on this record. This is a very back heavy record for me, uh, which I assume comes from what the first three songs alone and the fifth song are to this day played constantly. Constantly, nonstop. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but from the very first time I heard the record, Territorial Pissings, uh, Drain You, Lounge Act, I think Stay Away is amazing. Yep. Uh, on a Plane. I On a Plane is you, amazing. On a Plane is such a stunningly good song that if this record was only good, if this record was only known for Teen Spirit and nobody ever cared and Nirvana didn't blow up or anything, 
on a plane is a quality song that I, to this day, I would be like, but you got to hear on a plane. Yeah, like I would plane. be defending that song mercilessly, like without question, I would be defending that song constantly. I think that might be either that or the one or drain you either drain you or on a plane are probably my favorite songs on the record. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Um, my, my favorites, I didn't really list teen spirit just because I mean, you know, that's just like an accepted uh, overall like uh, song. But Teen Spirit is one of those very few times where art and commerce mix very well. That song is as good as a song that is as famous as that song is should be. Right. And that that rarely happens. That rarely happens. And another thing about yeah. um, Teen Spirit and my nerdiness, I did go to... I lived in Seattle for a bit and uh, I did go to the location where that song was played for the first time before it was even nice. on a record. It's the, at the okay Ho- hotel. It's a, That's a an apartment complex now, but and so I couldn't just like <laughs> walk in there and be like, this is the stage. But I, I you know, I yeah, peeked yeah. in there and I was like, wow, this is like fucking cool. But um, the, I, I would rad. have to say my favorite song is, like you said, Territorial Pissings. That's like the song I want to hear the most off of this album every time I listen to it. Also, Breed and then Lithium. Those are kind of like my top three. Because like you said, I love all the songs. So I just really forced myself to pick three. <laughs> now, I will give one honorable mention, uh, which ended up being a single off the record, but in bloom. If you go yes. back to that first time my brother came out to the truck and said, hey, remember that band you don't like the drummer for? This is their new album. Put it in. I heard Teen Spirit. Didn't hate Teen Spirit at all. Did, did not hate it. But I'm telling you, by the time it got to the first verse of In Bloom, I was like, this is the best rock song I've heard in five years. I loved In Bloom so goddamn much. And they kept releasing every other song as a single. And every time I kept being like, God, will you please? Yeah. Will you please release In Bloom? And finally it was released. I think it might've been the last single off the record. Yeah. And uh, I was that way with Black from... uh, Pearl Jam 10 too. Oh yeah. I was like, would you guys please release this song as a single? Damn it. You know, well, I think with, uh-huh. um, with black, it's a bit different. Cause didn't Eddie like not want that to be released as a single? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little different, but, um, yeah. yeah. But, but in bloom, it definitely it's, it's, is it overplayed? Yeah. But it was the first song on the record that it, let me put just like going forward for like the next, geez, I don't know, six months before, like, never mind, blew up. Whenever I played Nirvana for someone and said, Oh, my brother, my brother, you know, played this awesome band for me. The first song I would play would be in blue. Yeah. That's a really good one for sure. I mean, it's, it's just hard for me to say that there is a bad song, I guess, which kind of, we'll just skip to the next section. Um, I don't like to say there are, are bad songs, but there are maybe songs that you would like to skip. Uh, when you listen to the album, I think you said you had one. What would be your, your skip song? I do. Uh, you know, I'm a long time Guns N' Roses fan, so okay. I'm going to have the nerve. I'm going to have the nerve to say I don't even skip Paradise City when I listen to Appetite for Destruction. So yeah. my argument is me is about to be wafer thin on this song. Okay, but because of being overplayed, man, come as you are. I just I've heard that song at least a million times on the radio yeah. in my life. And so if I'm putting on Nevermind digitally, if I'm not, if I put it on vinyl, I'm just going to let it let it play. Yeah. But if I listen to never, yeah, if I, if I listen to Nevermind digitally, boy, do I get an itchy trigger finger, trigger finger <laughs> as soon as that guitar part starts for come as you are. Yeah. And it's, and it's solely based on, you know, before the record broke, 
I was never like, oh, that song sucks. You know, right. I, I just, it, I'm, and it could even, I know that, I know it was huge and the sing, the, the video was huge and all that. Maybe it was even Detroit centric. They overplayed it way too much compared to other cities. I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember it necessarily being overplayed, but that's, I, I also uh, probably have more of a limited memory around that time being only nine years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's possible too. And then, uh, and then it ended up being on the unplugged. And I was like, you guys, come on, man, I'm already sick of this song. You know. this, now it's on the damn unplugged. Yeah. So if I were going to skip one, that would be it. And I, it takes away nothing from it. It's a great song. Yeah. I've just heard it too many times. And I, and I'm also <laughs> in my defense, I'm always trying to get to the back half of this record faster. So you can hear the Batman theme you know. song. <laughs> yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I just, the, I think the back half of this record is I, as you know, it, I believe you can say this about albums, even though they've sold gajillions of copies. I think the back half of Nevermind is so underrated. It's not even funny. Because I, I mean, a lot, like you said, a lot of the singles are from the first half. So people, you know, if you're not like a diehard Nirvana fan, like me and Russ seem to be, <laughs> um, then uh, then you would maybe not get to the second half and get to hear On a Plane or things like that. Uh, yeah. I bet you could release on a plane or drain you as a, as a lost Nirvana song and people the would not know. majority of people <laughs> who consider themselves Nirvana fans would not know that that's already on the album that they own. And in an even greater portion of people that wear Nirvana shirts would not. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've struggled with that. Uh, in my, as you know, on my own show, I refer to myself as a recovering music. music snob, snob, and yep. Name three songs. People. <laughs> yeah. People walking around in uh, shirts for bands that they don't know who they are or whatever yeah. is, is a, it's a, it's an opportunity for me. Yeah, you're like you're like let's talk about music then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it it ha- it's worked out sometimes when I've done that when I've talked to someone who's wearing a shirt for a band and I'm like whoa like okay this is great like wow, you, you know, actually do know this band, but, yeah yeah but sometimes it doesn't work out and uh, yeah you know. I see that That's also. I, I think that for me, the two biggest ones are like Nirvana and the Misfits. Yeah. Just because those are two like like very well branded uh, logos. So, yeah, I I, uh, I think those two are the two big ones that I noticed. But my my fiance uh, bought a Pink Floyd shirt at a like a department store very recently. Yeah. And uh, she flat out told me like a weekend of wearing it. She's like, until I met you and learned so much about Pink Floyd, I would have never bought and wore the shirt because I would have ran into someone like you who would have been like, oh, let's talk about Pink Floyd. And I would have been like, I don't know anything about I don't know them. <laughs> oh, yeah. my gosh. Um, well, let's talk about some of our favorite lyrics. I know that you mentioned that you hate the song Come As You Are, but that that is one of my favorite lyrics <laughs> and uh, yeah, just the, li- the lyrics of the song are great. Yeah. The lyrics just like come as you are, as you are, as I want you to be, you know, as someone I like, you know, in the LGBT community, I, th- I feel like the LGBTQ fans of Nirvana really are attracted to that song just because the whole song is just to come in as you are, you know, be yourself, you know, not mm-hmm. as people want you to be. Yeah. And I agree to another thing about that, that might have been something that people attached themselves to at the time that that song broke. The era before it was very much about appearances. You had to look a certain way. You had to live a certain lifestyle. And here's this band being like, yeah, you just do you, you know, I I mean, incidentally, birthing their own fashion movement too, which says, in my opinion, says more about the people who were listening to them than it does uh, the band itself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but I've always I've always had an affinity for the lyrics to Polly. Okay, 
Polly is one of those songs I feel like you get out of it what you want to hear. I remember when this record came out that there was some uh, uproar and kerfuffle of uh, some Tibergore-esque parent had heard the <laughs> album one time yeah. and decided that Polly was about uh, domestic abuse. And to me, with people like that from Tibergore on, I've always felt like, mm, maybe that's you wanting to hear that. And yeah. Things, you know? And, and yeah. from my understanding of the song, that's not what it's about. Um, no. <laughs> my understanding of the song is that it's more of about like from the perspective of a, a serial killer, like or the, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So not much better, but, you know, it's it's definitely a dark well, song. It's a it's a heavy song for me to listen to. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. And that's why I like it is because it's it's heavy. You know, I grew up a Roger Waters fan. You know, I love a heavy, heavy subject topic. matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I like when things are left fairly ambiguous for the listener to put their own twist on it you know right i like that type of stuff i like drain you i think is packed full of lyrics that most people either either drain you is on in the background or when you hear it you go oh my god i was in that relationship yeah Mm -hmm. yeah you know like oh i was in that relationship you know what i mean like oh yeah absolutely uh, it's i feel like it's a very narrow view for that song like you either were in that relationship or the song doesn't matter to you at all (laughs) yeah and then the other one is uh something in the way not even so much the lyrics itself but the delivery yeah it's very um a dark (sighs) song like just in in the musicality of it definitely i i think that that along with um the, you know, background vocals. And I mean, yeah, it's a very dark song and very gritty song, which is, you know, why it was became so perfect for Batman. But, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, right. I agree. That is another great song before Batman. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and when I was trying to come up with lyrics too, like there's just so many good lyrics on this album. It was so hard to pick, you know, just a few. We, I mean, we could make a whole another album are a whole nother podcast uh, just about the lyrics and, and talking about the different songs. Yeah. It's for, again, I feel like these lyrics were, were so and continue to be, were so important at the time because it was a completely fresh perspective that nobody, you know, as much as I love quote unquote hair metal, they're all singing about the same thing. Yeah. And parties, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah there was a whole different perspective out there. I, the only thing I can liken it to in rock and roll would have been in the very late sixties when everything was, uh, Mrs. Brown, you got a lovely daughter. Something tells me (laughs) I'm into something good. And all of these, you know, upbeats. And then here comes black Sabbath to be like, Hey, guess what sucks (laughs) growing up young right now, you know? And the whole world was like, what, what, you know, what, what do you, but what we hear on the radio, what we see on the Ed Sullivan show is everybody's happy go lucky. And Black Sabbath was like, no, we are not. No. You know, and that's all I can equate it to. I wasn't there, uh, surprisingly. You weren't were a young born. child yeah. when Black Sabbath came out? I, I was not. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I feel like that must have been the same feel. You know, that, yeah. like there was, that there was a whole section. Yeah, there was a whole section of society at that time that and and a certain amount of rebellion too there were probably people that were more than a little upset with being marginalized to the college rock corner of the uh the rolling stone magazine uh and i'm certain although nowadays the media likes to act like the 90s was a very happy-go-lucky time for the lgbtq community i was there it was absolutely not no that was and like right at the height of the aids crisis i will tell you that Nirvana, the the show that i went to in 93 uh the in utero 
update was the very first time that I saw a a person who identified as a man wearing a like an evening gown to a concert and not take any sort of crap for it. Right. Yeah. Because Kurt, Kurt wore dresses and, and that sort of thing, too. Right, right. So it made it right. OK, yeah. whatever. Well, it made it to where if you bought that ticket, you were buying that you had to be acceptable of other people. Right. right? And I feel like the way that Kurt spoke on a lot of these songs spoke to a whole generation of people who were like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of not being accepted anywhere. Well, and also, yeah. too, um, Kurt Cobain, who, you know, at one point in his life thought that he was gay. So, um, you know, and, and very much like a supporter of women and stuff like that. So, I mean, all these things like definitely tie into to the queer community, I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, and again, I cannot stress enough. First of all, uh, I, I don't identify as, a, as part of the LGBT community. So I'm not saying like I'm giving you my personal experiences. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I saw. I just uh, you know, I just yeah, I'm just telling you what I observed at the yeah. time, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I don't care what. Netflix show you watched that's set in the nineties or whatever. It was not the happy go lucky place uh, for that side of the community that, that we're being told now that it was. And I feel like that had a whole lot to do with something like nevermind blowing up, like every cross section of people who didn't fit into that one category that was being pushed by the music industry was now like, and, and you could say the same thing for quote unquote gangster rap at the time, Yeah, you know, people who were like, Oh yeah, there's, there's this other thing for me as well. Right. And I don't think anything bad ever came out of that. You know, I think there are other genres who have led to bad things happening <laughs> yes, in music. But, yes, yes. Uh, I, I don't feel, I feel like that was our first big step forward as a society of like, oh, there are massive amounts of other opinions out there. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree, um, at least more on a, a, a mainstream level, because, you know, in late 70s, you had the punk movement really starting to happen. And the punk movement in, is very much similar, where it's like, everyone's welcome, all the weirdos, all the freaks, you know, you can all come come here where disco you want. Yeah. At, the, at the same disco was absolute. But the thing with disco was the music was huge, right? The the culture around it was not the culture around it was happening exactly in downtown Manhattan and nowhere else. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas when Seattle, quote unquote, Seattle broke, yeah. it broke nationwide. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Where punk was still the same. I mean, there were pockets of the country that were into punk, but uh, it was mostly a New York thing. New York, LA, and, uh, UK, you know, but yeah, maybe York, not, LA, not everybody. Yeah. 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 And whereas when Seattle broke, it was like the nation all at once while all of society didn't convert, like I talked about earlier, the nation all at once was like, yeah, yeah, I am different than a lot of other things going on. And that's okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and on top of that, believe it or not, that's okay. Yeah. And that just sort of leads me to uh, the, the second lyric that I'd like to share in last lyric is I'm so happy because today I found my friends. They're in my head. I'm so ugly. That's okay. Cause so are you broke our mirrors from lithium and uh in a quote from the bass player chris novoselic about this song he talked uh, uh he being kurt cobain he talked about how ugly he thought he was all of the time i remember one day he looked in a mirror and almost shed a few tears because he was so uncomfortable in his own skin um so i thought that was really interesting because um i can definitely relate i've not until within the past, maybe like two, three years have felt comfortable in my own skin. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially in the, in the LGBTQ community where you are 
idealized for having like the prime physical uh, physique and certain like being as like basically right. as attractive as possible or whatever. And then right. everyone else kind of gets brushed aside. So that was a, that was also another link for me to connecting to Nirvana and their message and Kurt Cobain. I will say that the first time that I heard that lyric, that was like a, what did he just say? Like I ran it back and I was like, damn. That's uh, deep. Like, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it's about the drug lithium, but it's also so much more than that. Oh no, I, I concur. And again, I think that comes from at the time, everybody coming out of the eighties, man, everybody, everyone had to look picture perfect all the time yeah yeah and you know and i bet i bet kurt was like i absolutely do not fit into that no. you know and and the whole uh i guess it depends on how deeply you want to look into things for me that line we broke that's okay because we broke our mirrors yeah. is more about uh not judging yourself than others judging you yeah and it's it's something that's far easier said than done. I'm certain when Kurt wrote that, he wasn't like, oh, well, that's that. I'm mentally okay I now. I feel better and about I think myself. I'm attractive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure when he wrote that, that wasn't the, you know, the resolve right. of it. But it also doesn't mean that it's not a good idea for him to share that thought with others because like, look what it's done for you or who, mm-hmm. who knows how many other people. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure lots of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, it's like why, why I don't have a problem with like quote unquote happily married uh, rock stars writing songs about like uh, hard times or right. or relationship issues. It's like you know just because you have, are coming from a just different perspective doesn't mean you can't write something that moves me. Right. Um, and I guess I guess my last question about this album is if you were to rate it from one to ten, what would you give this album and why? So this is what I said earlier about. For me, this whole record is where the cross section of uh, the crossroads of art and commerce happen. Yeah. I feel like if you, and it's also hard for me as a recovering music snob yes. to, <laughs> to give a rating to this because I, all cards on the table, I feel like a 10 for this record, which is my rating, comes from a different place than a Rolling Stone writer who was just told that Nirvana is a great thing and, and Nevermind is untouchable. Right. Right. Like this record. For me, as a 10, because it, even in Nirvana's lineage, it improves on everything they were trying to do on the first record. Like, literally everything they were trying to do on the first record, right. they do it better yeah, on and, this album. Well, and the cultural impact, you know, as it relates to other music. The cultural imp- impact that I saw firsthand on society, the impact that Kurt had uh, and continues to have because of this record. I just, I, you know, come as you are, for me personally, being overplayed, whatever. That's still a hell of a song. It's still a great, uh, yeah, still a great song. There's, there's not a moment wasted on this record, right? It is, all, it is all loud, good, catchy, and deep, meaningful, yeah, music, yeah, all, all at the same time. And and for one record to fire in all cylinders like that is not very common. And I'm I'm glad I let you go first too because I would say I, I wanted to give this song this album a ten as well, but I felt like I would be either biased or pretentious by giving it a 10 just because it is so meaningful to me. Yeah. For me, like I say, it's hard to give a record like this a 10 because of, and I I know I keep using them as a whipping post, but it's okay. I've done it since like 1985. (laughs) Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. You know, they're all about the revisionist history. You know, to me, if you ask Rolling Stone magazine, what their review of Nevermind was in, you know, June of 1991, it's far different than they're going to tell you it it was now. And they won't republish that article. (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, You know, this is the same publication who just three or four days ago put out uh, an article absolutely thrashing 
Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses. But the day that Chinese Democracy came out, issued a five-star review. Of course, yeah. You know, but now <laughs> it's not cool to like it. So, uh, and it's, so for me, coming from you, a, a 10 means something. Yeah. Not, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, you're not uh, like, oh, I'm going to say never mind a 10 because I was told to say that. Right. You know, like, I mean, I, I honestly, between this album and like 10 and I mean, other albums by those two bands, I can't tell you like where I would be in life without them basically um yep. i mean i didn't connect to them until i was older and had more experience until i was an adult and on my own fa- doing adult things facing real adult problems and stuff like that so um yep. you know but it, i mean honestly this music was was and is so therapeutic for me just to be able to be like wow like i'm like this weird person but i can listen to this album and be like normal right yep so and it- if anything, I think that's all Kurt would have wanted. You know, I certainly can't speak for him, but I, he to me, the message is clear on this record that all he wanted was for more people to be accepted. Cause he, I mean, and he, I mean, even on this own record, he has songs about the wrong types of people listening to his music that <laughs> he would not like to uh, have people listen to. Yep. And, you know, I, again, to bring GNR up, there was a famous tour that GNR did with Metallica and Faith No More ended up in the opening slot of that. Nirvana was the band that they wanted to be in the opening slot of that. And Kurt was like, no, thank you. Yeah, it was just too, you know? too big for them or not this, not the right no, scene? No, he didn't want, he, he didn't, yeah, it wasn't the right scene. He didn't want Guns N' Roses and Metallica fans uh, engaging with him. That's pretty fair. They're, they're um, their own, well, not generalize to generalize they are their own special group of people yeah and i you know at the time kurt was still fighting the whole uh corporate side of things and i can't think of anything more corporate in 92 than gene you know opening for the two biggest acts in all of music right touring together at the same time you know there's a there's a million different ways that tour could go wrong for nirvana so i've never been mad about it there's a certain cross-section of uh GNR fans who to this day are very mad at Nirvana for it, but I totally get the hows and whys of turning that tour down. Right. Absolutely. Um, I guess sort of to to start wrapping this episode up, I was just wondering if you had any songs or any albums that you would like to recommend to the listeners to go to um, after this episode, if they need some, some more therapy. Well, for me, I would tell everybody the two records that I would tell you to go listen to uh, directly after this uh, be, to keep it in this wheelhouse. I've been listening to a lot of different stuff this week, but mm-hmm. you know, the first thing I would tell everybody to do is go. If you haven't really listened to in utero, uh, yes. the next five. Yes, I know. I know incesticide came out, but that's a B side collection. I don't count it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, in utero is the next proper follow up to this record. It is my favorite Nirvana record uh, in utero is. And uh, the sheer gall to put out, in utero after nevermind is stunning yeah in a good way uh so i would tell you if you haven't visited that record for a while or or this one you know nevermind has a lot of hits uh on a plane i, would, I uh, we could recommend what, that one as, no for sure they, oh if you are you looking for just recommendations from this record or, or any, just anything you want to anything well i what i was going to say about in uh in utero is that if you if for you in utero 
uh, is the Heart Shape Box and All Apologies record, I would strongly recommend digging deeper into that record. Things that you're missing out on, like Dumb and Penny Royalty, uh, Serve the Servants. I mean, the record is just just loaded with songs. And then another band that we talked about a great deal is uh, we talked uh, uh, we touched on Pearl Jam a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the back half of Pearl Jam's career, you can debate till the cows come home. There's certain spikes in quality there. Uh, for me, their best record lyrically past the first two is uh, their fifth album, Yield. Okay. For a guy, Eddie Vedder, who gets a reputation for mumbling and sometimes writing nonsensical things, yeah. <laughs> the, ly- the, the lyrics across the whole album of Yield are so straightforward and emotional. It's a very, very, very emotional record. So I, if I were going to tell people to go listen to a couple of things after this record, I would tell you to listen to In Utero by Nirvana and then Yield by Pearl Jam. And I think you'll see the picture of uh, two bands who have a lot more to offer than maybe you thought they did. Definitely. And I guess like uh, an album I'd like to recommend just also to kind of piggyback off what you were saying, um, an album later in Pearl Jam's career that I don't think gets a lot of attention uh, is Lightning Bolt. They're 2000. Was it 12 or 13? Somewhere 12, around there. Yep. That album for me is like great from beginning to end. And I know that a lot of people don't give it a, a chance because it's like, oh, not cool to listen to later Pearl Jam or whatever. But um, yeah, Pearl Jam has lots of great music besides like the first two or three albums that they put out. I think that I, me personally, I think Yield, their fifth effort, I think that's the best record they'll ever make. Yeah. I think it's stunningly good from start to finish. It's definitely, be- I, I will say the last, what was the last one with Dance of the Clairvoyant? I don't remember the album title, but. The the very last record they've released so yeah. far. Yeah. Pearl Jam. Uh, G- Gigatron. Yeah. That one's not my favorite. And I can admit that. Yeah. <laughs> I was so, I was so bummed that day. I brought it home on vinyl and was all excited. I, I skipped listening to anything that was out beforehand because I wanted to hear the whole thing yep. front to back. And it was a sad 40 minutes. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. I did not enjoy it. Yeah. But whatever. People are going to go. Up and down. I'm happy we still have Pearl Jam to put out an album like a pan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we had a, a lovely time talking. I think this is a great first comeback episode. Um, you know, I've been gone for a year and a half, so now you get like a almost two hour podcast. So <laughs> so we're giving you all the content. Um, of course, before we do go, I like to do this tradition, and that is to invite the band to come on the show for an interview. Uh, if for some reason they they hear it when it, somehow it gets to them or their record label people, my contact information is in the description below. And you never know, man. Dave Dave Grohl shows up everywhere these days. You never know. Dave Grohl, Chris. I mean, I I've oh my god, like Chris Novoselic with his. I don't, I don't think they're still together, but there are. He was in a band called Giants and Trees, and I went in, to see them at like this the um the Tractor Tavern in uh and in seattle and to see chris novoselic playing a band in a small club was just surreal to me just being that yeah, close yeah. to him i was yeah, yeah. like holy fuck it was just unreal and the music was good i enjoyed his music and but yeah so i mean you know i think chris is a very nice guy maybe he would want to come on the show but uh we'd love to have Kurt, of course, but unfortunately, that's not an option. But yeah, so we, you know, more than welcome, contact us. And of course, before we go, we have to thank Russ for just making an awesome first episode back and being being the amazing host that I built him up to be. <laughs> there again, not not that's for other people to say besides me. But yeah, I'm I was excited about this. It, 
Nevermind is one of those records that has been talked to death, and yet you can still there's still talk so about much. It. More. I feel like we, yeah, I feel like we found some new and interesting points to bring up about it that maybe people either haven't talked about in a while or maybe not at all. Right, and and, and I still feel like we have really only scratched the surface talking about it. This is and we, and we talked about it for so long. It's a it's a deep record, man. It is. There's a lot to talk about and a lot to get into with uh, Nirvana, and then also just the the lyrics and like really looking into them. But uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll do like a mini episode in the future looking in, into those more. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but thanks again, Russ. And uh, thanks everyone from li- for listening, especially if you've made it to this point in the podcast. Um, I'll be back next week with a brand new episode for you. But until then, bye. Right on.